Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, there are more calls for the federal government to intervene in the CN rail strike. We call on the federal government uh, to reconvene parliament uh, as soon as possible uh, to pass uh, legislation to end this strike. What will the federal government do to resolve a human rights tribunal ruling and a class action lawsuit regarding First Nations children? Talking about a process to compensate children and the Prime Minister himself has said, I'm interested in compensating children, so how can a, discussing a process to compensate them be at odds with Canada's public interest. And Christia Freeland visits Western Canada. We face some big challenges at home, uh, notably the challenge around being sure that we can act united as a country. It's Tuesday, November 26th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Peter Van Dusen, CPAC's executive producer and the host of Primetime Politics. Good morning, Peter. Morning, Mark. Let's start with the prospect of the government stepping in to address the CN rail strike. Uh, This is obviously a concern to a lot of people, uh, but uh, the government doesn't sit again until next Thursday, so it doesn't look as though there's anything that's going to happen between now and then at a minimum, right? It doesn't sound like it, Uh, you know, and there's a bunch of stuff that has to happen before they could even get to... uh, uh, any back-to-work legislation, if that's the path the government decides to choose, and it said that all options are on the table. The, as you said, the House comes back uh, next Thursday with the election of a speaker and then a speech from the throne, and then on Friday. Uh, I mean, how quickly could they move to back-to-work legislation if that's the route the government chooses to take? I suppose pretty quickly. And at that point, uh, I suppose everything's on the table. They could They could sit through the weekend if they wanted to to try and pass emergency legislation to get uh, uh, to end the strike, and that's in the in the face of these growing demands now from farmers, from from premiers, uh, you know, from senators in different parts of the country, in the, in the Maritimes in Quebec in particular, saying uh, they have urgent needs here. They're running out of propane. Uh, they need the rail strike ten to to be able to uh, resupply uh, propane uh, to Atlantic Canada, largely in the province of Quebec. It's kind of interesting, Mark, in the context of all the other things we've been talking about in terms of East versus West and Alberta versus Quebec on energy issues that uh, I see where there's an Alberta company that's willing to to, uh, expedite propane to Quebec uh, with a view to trying to... uh, you know, deal with the issue of Canadian values and, and one side helping the other side, even in the face of uh, uh, the anger that continues to, to spread in, in Alberta and Saskatchewan over energy issues and uh, the fact that the, they feel they're being treated differently in Western Canada than Quebec does. Yeah, that is interesting. Uh, do you think the government has an inclination towards action on this, though? And and at a certain point, will they say, OK, we've got to step in to to uh, to legislate an end to this, or would they rather not touch it if they can avoid it? Well, I think they'd rather not touch it, but to be clear, I mean, it's, there's lots of stuff that happens in these kinds of cases that, you know, you don't see necessarily, you know, stated and restated and fought out in a public forum. I mean, there are federal mediators working in there now trying to bring these two sides together, although the latest reports suggest they're not making a whole lot of process, but the government's actively trying to find a negotiated end to this so that they don't have to. I mean, I would say that uh, it's a government that is liberal government that's, that would largely be reluctant to to interfere in the bargaining process, but I'm not sure they'll have any choice if this if this doesn't get settled. Uh, 
before Parliament returns, and it looks like it could drag on for some time after that, and that's a report they would get back from their mediators. If they say, look, where these two sides aren't, aren't looking to budge, then I, I think there'll be uh, very serious pressure on the government to take action, coming from all kinds of sides, friends, uh, you know, allies of the government, the enemies of the government. They'll all be saying, look, you need to push an end to this. Too much is at stake in an economy that's still relatively fragile. We're talking about the movement of Western goods. Farmers need propane to dry crops. Farmers need to move their product. And if none of that is moving, there'll be enormous pressure on the government to step in. All right, let's turn to how the federal government is handling this case of a large number of Indigenous children who were part of the on-reserve child welfare system. A human rights tribunal, of course, ordered that the government compensate those children, and the government's lawyers were arguing against that yesterday. At the same time, though, the justice minister and the new Indigenous services minister said yesterday that the government intends to settle a class-action lawsuit on behalf of many of the same First Nations children. So this is obviously uh, uh, an intricate storyline, but uh, where does that leave us now? It leaves it, it's, it's It's fairly complicated, I think. And to be clear uh, uh, to listeners, the that's, there's this sort of there's two tracks here. There's an ongoing class action suit that deals largely with the same issues, involving the the lack of funding and different level of treatment of uh, child welfare treatment on reserves uh, when compared to. Uh, child welfare services in the rest of the country. So that's a class action th- suit that has been launched uh, uh, that you know, would pay out large, somewhere in the neighborhood of, of $6 billion to people who were pulled from their families, young people who were pulled from their families uh, and, and received less than uh, the same treatment that other uh, children uh, who have been you know, place with child welfare services in the country receive. And then there's this human rights tribunal, one of a, a series of orders against the federal government that says uh, the time for talk is done, the time for discussion is done, you will pay out $40,000 to some 54,000 uh, First Nations children and even some money to, to their relatives, parents and grandparents uh, who were affected by the by this process and the lack of services being provided. Uh, I suppose you could look at these two things and say the government's stated objective here is to, as they've stated in court, is look, uh, this process has has moved to a point where uh, essentially there, there are questions about the validity of this order that we want a federal court to review. We want them to review this order and see uh, we think there are a number of different flaws with it. This is the federal government argument. And um, on the other side, uh, the advocates pushing for the federal government to pay up here are saying you've, you've promised to, to fix this for years. It still hasn't been fixed, so we want you to pay. So you could look at this and say, okay, there's, there's and, and the feds are saying it doesn't cover enough people. This is from 2006 until today, so 13 years. Instead, we should look you know, go back as far as 1991 and open up the process to far more claimants. That's the what would appear to be the noble objective. Some people look at this and say, you know, the, the class action payout risks being somewhere around six billion dollars, whereas the human rights uh, order uh, would be somewhere around eight plus billion dollars. So you could look at this and say, look, by going the class action suit, uh, you could save a you know, two billion dollars potentially. Plus, it's an ongoing negotiated process where this, uh, you know, the human rights order uh, would be, you know, would be fairly expedited compared to the class action process. So, if you were cynical, you could look at this and say the government's looking for a way to draw out this settlement process and may 
perhaps pay less money at the end of it. All right. Finally, let's talk about Christia Freeland, who is in Western Canada. She met yesterday with Jason Kenney, the Premier of Alberta, and other politicians in that province, and we're expecting she'll be meeting with the Saskatchewan Premier, Scott Moe, as well. And I think a lot of people will be watching to see what kind of reception she gets, what her message is, how much listening she does, and whether these meetings, generally speaking, go better than some of the meetings uh, that happened between those same politicians and the Prime Minister recently. Yeah, I think this is a big test for Christopher Freeland, but she's clearly a cabinet minister uh, who's demonstrated she's up for big tests, given her record as the foreign affairs minister. Uh, now, as uh, the de facto minister of national unity and the deputy prime minister, uh, this is a big challenge, and you and I have talked about this before, Mark, and, and it's all uh, to, to me it's all going to be about what we see in the next couple of weeks uh, from these meetings and these discussions with uh, politicians at West, and it's all going to come down to you know, whether she is there on a listing tour or whether she's there on a uh, you know, uh, convincing tour. If she's there to try and bring them on side to the government policies, which I'm sure in part she is, and that's clearly what uh, I think the big win situation would be, is if she came back after all of this and had Scott Moe and Jason Kenney all on side with carbon taxes and about fighting climate change uh, the way the Liberal government wants climate change to be fought and, and not adopting their own policies that they think will achieve the same goals, uh, that would be a great win. But if it's if at the end of the day the, the feeling is, after a few of these meetings, the message coming out of those provinces is uh, that they're not hearing our message that we want things done differently. We want a different approach to equalization. We need more money for Alberta uh, from, you know, these economic, uh, essentially, you know, disaster relief funds uh, than Alberta's been getting. We want to change to Bill C-69. If they don't get some progress uh, on those issues, material progress, not just more listening, uh, I, I think, I'm not sure that we'll be any further ahead in this whole Wexit, uh, you know, this, this desire by the federal government to put down a Wexit movement to satisfy Western demands. It has to be more than just that uh, we hear your concerns again without any action reflecting that they've heard those concerns, which means a change in policies, a change in approach. Uh, and if we don't see that, then I'm not sure how that moves the, the issue any further ahead. All right. We'll see what happens, Peter. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. All right, Mark. Take care. We'll talk again. That's CPAC's Peter Van Dusen. People expect us to work together. We're the largest province. Uh, this is the federal government. And uh, there's areas that we're going to work together. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Toronto Sun, Jim Warren argues Andrew Scheer can learn from Doug Ford. Warren writes, After Ford met with the Prime Minister last Friday, the Ontario Premier played the role of Captain Canada, speaking collaboratively and striking a cautious but positive tone. Hopefully, Scheer was taking notes. Canadians want their politicians to work things out and get things done. By focusing on what they have in common instead of what separates them, Ford is making a smart, tactical move. In the Montreal Gazette, Lisa Ravery argues Quebec and Alberta have much in common. Ravery writes, Alberta and Quebec share a unique can-do spirit and a desire to run their affairs as they see fit. Both provinces are energy powerhouses but fate dictated that Quebec would end up with hydro and the West with petroleum. Instead of adding fuel to the fire, Jason Kenney could lead the national conversation on the future of energy. 
Pipelines would be easier to build when needed if we didn't get the impression that Alberta is one stubborn, climate-change-denying province. At Policy Options, Danielle Bellon and Melanie Thomas argue Jason Kenney has a case of Quebec envy. They write, Kenney's envy seems grounded in resentment towards Quebec, something particularly apparent when he attacks equalization. Quebec receives it, Alberta does not. Kenney argues that because of that, Quebec should not have anything to say about policies relating to Alberta's industry. Albertans should ask whether the choices on the part of the Premier, including his use of Quebec envy, helps the province bring about real policy change. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. As we've mentioned, the strike at CN Rail continues, and Canadian farmers in particular are feeling the impact. As CPAC's Martin Stringer reports... They'll be holding a news conference on Parliament Hill today in Ottawa. Mark, at 2 p.m. Eastern Time in the press conference room on Parliament Hill, representatives from the Canadian Grain Growers and the Canadian Federation of Agriculture will meet with reporters to talk about the growing impact of the rail strike as it enters its second week. We've seen protests from grain producers in Quebec as they and some of their colleagues in Ontario are at threat of losing their crops for lack of propane to dry their harvested crop. That's because, in particular, those shipments of propane have been disrupted in all points east of Sarnia, Ontario. But also on Parliament Hill, there'll be grain producers from Western Canada, and they are suffering a triple whammy. First of all, there have been problems with their biggest markets for canola and soya in China, which uh, that's been disrupted by the ongoing trade dispute with the Chinese government. And then there was the terrible harvest this year. And notwithstanding all of that, they still have to try to get that harvest to market. And the strike and the rail disruption comes just as grain shipments are gearing up to hit their peak. So, Mark, it'll be no surprise to hear them adding their voice to, while expressing sympathy for the safety concerns of employees at CN, they will be calling for some sort of rapid action from the government to get those railroad cars back on the rails. Thanks, Martin. Also today, the Prime Minister will meet in Ottawa with the Premier of Newfoundland and Labrador, in Regina, Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland will meet with the Mayor of Regina, followed by Saskatchewan Premier Scott Moe. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh will make an announcement in Ottawa, and Governor-General Julie Payette continues her visit to Lithuania. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Tuesday, November 26th. Tune into Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day. <laughs>